Well, welcome everybody to the Pierce Point podcast. And in this podcast, we're going to work through our Bible reading plan together that we uh, we started on January the 13th today, this Monday, um, through the book of Luke and Acts. And our focus was Luke 1, and there was a little video that you probably saw with that from the Bible Project, which really sets an over... Uh, an overview of the first part of the book of Luke. So without further ado, we're just going to kind of go through this and talk about things that we observed, things that stood out to us. So why don't we start with something that stood out to you? Sure. Yeah. I think the first thing that stood out to me was that uh, Luke is a, uh, he seems to be dedicated to uh, the details. He's a, he's a detail guy, which I really like. And he, uh, he wanted to give an orderly account uh, of his uh, those things that were uh, more from eyewitness accounts, which would would be seemingly uh, something that would be uh, uh, more credible yeah. to the people that were uh, listening to him. And Trustworthy accounts, obviously important things. I think I'm looking at that from the fact that we live in a skeptical age mm-hmm. and we're constantly being asked for. Uh, credible sources versus biblical sources. And one of the things that I see uh, is overlooked in the criticism of Christianity and the criticism of um, from maybe the atheistic world is they don't trust that we do have empirical evidence inside of our own scriptures. This is history. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're reading historical accounts, and Luke thought it was important. I do like... Um, when he says in in verse one, he wants to compile an account of the things accomplished among us. Um, this this orderly account or this compilation that he's trying to compile is actually of the things that were accomplished, the things that were done, and so everything that follows. Luke is claiming these are these are actual events. Mm-hmm. These are and they're evidenced by people. So mm-hmm. I think that that's important. He, he goes into verse 3, and uh, he's, he's done his homework here. He says, uh, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past. He's wanting to reiterate what he's followed, what he's seen, what, and he wanted to give an orderly account of those things. That, that he's studied. Yeah. This is he's not just his this is not off the cuff for him. Yeah. I, I think it's uh, interesting something we talked about earlier, which is that he um, he's not wanting to give an orderly account as if Matthew, Mark, and John had not given orderly accounts. His point was to write to this person, Theophilus, and to really speak the truth. That's his, that's his agenda. I want you to know mm-hmm. the truth about here, about this story. Now, for me, I think one of the things that stood out most is uh, this entire chapter seems to communicate just about every character trait I can think of, uh, of God that we really stress on a regular basis. We see God's foreknowledge. He, he, he knows how his story is going to unfold, and we see him telling of that unfolding story to Mary and to Martha and to Zacharias and, and all of these things. We see God's power in a couple of key elements. He's able to make a barren womb whole again. Uh, he's able to have a virgin be with child. Mm-hmm. These are huge mm-hmm. pieces. Um, 
we see God's judgment in Zacharias in that Zacharias is contrasted from Mary in that Zacharias doubted what God said versus Mary who was unsure how it could be accomplished. Mm -hmm. And there is a strict difference in those things. And so Zacharias doubts something about God and God in his judgment um, makes sure that the guy can't talk, Mm -hmm. which might have been to Elizabeth's great joy for a while. So (laughs) especially while Uh, she was pregnant. Anyway, not joking, but... (laughs) I I think the other thing that stands out to me in this is uh, it talks about in in verse 5 that this priest, there was... This, this wasn't just an ordinary guy. He was a priest. He and his wife served. And, and it says that they were blameless. They were, uh, they had, uh, uh, as, it, as it related to the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, that, that they had walked blameless and they were righteous before God. We, we read a, a lot about righteousness and about, and about, uh, the things that God requires and wants from us, and but but these people lived it out. Yeah, that I was. They're they're not. They were called righteous and blameless before God. Absolutely, I, I think that coincides with a couple of things throughout the rest of the New Testament, which I love. These are theological debates and theological arguments that can get a little uh, crazy, but. We've got to remember where we are in the timeline. Jesus has literally not even been born yet. Mm. And then we put our minds into words that the Apostle Paul says when he says, no one is righteous, no, not one. Mm. Well, what does he mean by this? Well, it's clear that he, he means, well, it seems clear that what Paul is referring to is the fact that no one can stand before God on his or her own merit. Mm-hmm. They can't, there is nothing about their righteousness that would say, this should overshadow my sinfulness. But we see a plain example in Luke chapter 1, verse 6 specifically, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. They hadn't been regenerated mm-hmm. yet, right? So Amazing. this is old. These are old covenant people, mm-hmm. if you will, mm-hmm. and they are walking righteous, as attested to by the Scripture mm-hmm. itself. All all that I would put together with that is that they were real people and they really did desire to follow God. They were humble or faithful people. Did that mean that they didn't have sin in their life? No, I don't believe that that's the case. I believe that all have sinned and fall short, but I believe that they really were those people who walked blamelessly before Mm -hmm. God. And of course, that brings up a conversation you and I have had a thousand times, which is... (laughs) the words of the Apostle Paul when he says, according to the law, I was faultless. I believe he was telling us the truth. I believe so. I believe he meant he was faultless, um, but that didn't make him, uh, that didn't redeem him. That didn't, that didn't wash away his previous sins. Mm-hmm. That's a work that only Christ can do. Mm-hmm. So, the thing, that, the thing that amazes me about this is that uh, you've, you've got four kids. I've got three kids. None of my three were necessarily announced by an angel to me. <laughs> nope. So, Mine uh, neither. So uh, there was something special going on here when God sends the angel Gabriel to tell 
uh, Zechariah and, and, and his wife that they were going to have a child. And then, this, then Gabriel also goes to Mary. There's something going on here that is beyond the normal. And it's, uh, I, I, I don't know that uh, uh, God in his wisdom and, and his sovereignty, uh, I, I don't know how or why he chose these folks, but there's something going on with them being blameless and righteous, and God sending an angel to tell them how things are going to go yeah. with them as far as their children are that concerned. Actually, that actually brings up the, that common conversation in the church, which is, uh, how are we saved? We are saved by grace through faith. We, we all understand that and believe that. We know that the scripture is expressly clear about this. But how that grace... Uh, unfolds is a powerful lesson. Give you an example in these two accounts. For Mary, the saved by grace or the uh, the choosing of her by utter grace is powerful in that she is a virgin who cannot conceive a child except for through, in this case, through the sovereign work of God who mm-hmm. gives her a child. This is powerful through the Holy Spirit. But... Elizabeth and Zacharias, even though they are righteous people, they still are not banking on just their own righteousness. That may be that may be a beautiful thing. We see that of Abraham; he was a righteous man. We see that of uh, you know of Job. We see that of different people throughout the Old Testament. But in their case, it's still by grace through faith. In that, the sovereign work of God has to make that barren womb whole again. Mm-hmm. That's how that works. Yet, unlike Mary, they then have to obey, which it seems that they're going to be the mm-hmm. people who are willing to in that, uh, of course, this is turns it from PG to PG-13, but, but they have to go on about the normal duties of men and women. They have to mm-hmm. have intercourse. They have to do the thing that is next for them. And they do that and they trust God. And even at their older age, they have this son named John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. So we every bit of this is by grace, even though, and the sovereign work of God, even though man is a part of it. Absolutely. It's so cool how those marry together. You talked about and, it on Sunday. And, the, and in this case, Zechariah had prayed for a son. He had prayed. God heard his prayer. The angel told him that God heard his prayer. So God in his sovereignty, chose to answer the prayer, not just answer the prayer, but to, but to give... Zechariah's son was going to be the forerunner of Christ. This was big. This was beyond big. This was someone that uh, their scripture had told would come they, b- before Christ. And this, was, and this was happening. And Zechariah... I don't know what his life looked like. I know right. he was a priest. I don't know how, I don't know anything about it. It says he was blameless. We know that. Uh, and he prayed. We know that. He was scared to death when he saw the angel. He was, <laughs> Which he, we all would be. We, we would be. And, and, but, but God intervened in a situation in his life 
that gives me joy and hope to think now I don't know I don't know how God does this in every case but he did in this one yeah you're you're pointing to this angelic visitation through God's power is is powerful Sarah and I were talking this morning about this chapter and um, we were comparing the doubts of Zacharias and the uh, question mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Of Mary, and I've shared this with the church many times that I tell my girls there's, you know, that, that I have no problem with them asking me questions. I definitely have a problem with being questioned where it's where it seems <laughs> malicious. It seems like or you're just not trust challenging or not trusting dad or whatever. And I think we all feel that way when we're questioned by our boss. It never feels good. But um, it's interesting in verse 18. Uh, we see Zacharias' situation, and it's uh, Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And then down in 34, Mary says to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The distinction there is that uh, Zacharias, who is again a righteous man, serving God, obeying his commandments, all of these things, Zacharias looks to the angel and says, prove it, Mm, right? right. How do I know this for certain? Well, how about an angel's talking to you, bud? You know, so Sarah laughs (laughs) about this and Sarah says to me, she goes, she goes, does he not recognize that this is an angel talking to him? And I said, well, I don't know. That's an interesting question. And then she read the previous verse and she goes, wait a minute. He was afraid. He was scared. He was scared. So he definitely knew it was an angel, and yet he didn't believe. And in light of that, God's judgment comes, God's justice comes, and he is unable to speak until this really interesting point when uh, John is named. Mm -hmm. But then in, but with Mary, her question is, how does this work with a virgin? Mm. (laughs) Right? Because I know they didn't live in a scientific world, but Mary at least knew the birds and the bees. She understood how this thing came about. And so she's asking the question, tell me how it will unfold, not prove it to me. Tell me how it will unfold. And God rewards that by answering her question and blessing her. I just think that that's a powerful thing. Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't object when the angel Gave him the name. He didn't want to. <laughs> he was already afraid, so he wasn't going to have anything yeah, more. Well, to he say. couldn't talk either, so <laughs> it's, this is good. It's like just shut up, dude. Oh, and, wait a minute. Uh, but but the message that the angel gave him about the the function that John was going to perform is is just absolutely. Uh, uh, it's just it's just amazing to turn the hearts. He'll have the spirit and the power of the and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers. To the, to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord, a people prepared. Man, that's big. I, I, I wonder sometimes if we realize that in our living our everyday lives and, we, and trying to live as close to the Lord as we can, are we becoming a people prepared? Are we being that people, yeah. uh, a people prepared for the Lord? Uh, this was this was an this was an unbelievably big announcement, yes. and uh, to be a part of what God was doing and had been doing for thousands of ages is down through time. To add to that, um, think about the weight that you would you would feel you were carrying on your shoulders if 
if and when you know that this is your mission, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children Mm -hmm. and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Um, This, to me, is a testimony to the gospel. Romans 1.16, right? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. John is equipped with nothing but a message. Mm. And his message is said to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, which that is what prepares the way for the Lord. Because, because God is holy and he stands before or will not stand before wickedness. He, he must stand before that which is right. He must walk on that path. And so what we're seeing is a making right Mm-hmm. of people through mm-hmm. the power of a message. It really does transform us. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't mention anything about about regeneration here. He simply says that John's power, John's message is that it's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. It's a thing that can be done and only through the power of this message that he sends him with. Mm-hmm. I, that's fascinating to it me. It is. And I, I think... Uh, when I look at at the way that that the angel answers Zechariah when he asks him, "How shall I know this?" Uh, for I'm an old old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel told him where the source of the informa- information. He said, "I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God." Man. That's big <laughs> when yes. you stand in the presence of God. Uh, and he said, I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. That's, that's how that's going to happen. When, when God sends an angel, and, 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 and it doesn't, it's not always this way, obviously. When we receive a revelation from God, it's going to come from his word. His, his, yes. his will is in his word. And we've talked about that many, many times. But, but to know that 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 this angel came and told him, I look, I stood in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you. That's how that's going to come yeah. to pass. I think I think that same weight comes when there's rejection to the gospel message that we share with the world. People are going to say, How can I know this for certain? Or how how can I know that this is true? And in some ways the answer is these are the words of God. Mm-hmm. You have to trust them. You have to believe that these are these words are true. And Zacharias is put into that exact position. How am I going to know this is true? And and you, I, I mean, I'm not one to say let's try to make an, an angel mad, but he seems <laughs> to have made this angel a little perturbed by saying, "Are you kidding me? I stand in the presence of God." Uh, what I say is true because God is the one who told me. And our gospel message is just that. We say, guys, uh, what we say is true because God is the one who has given that gospel message. Uh, it might be easier for a Christian to hear than uh, for an unbeliever to hear. Uh, the next thing that was really powerful to me um, was that we actually see three songs or three uh, points of praise. We, we see Mary's, um, Mary's praise. We see Elizabeth's. She is, um, she's exalting this blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of the womb. And how, um, how has it happened to me? This is all verse 43. 
How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And so you hear uh, Elizabeth's praise of this story that has happened to Mary. And then next you see Mary's praise, Mm. which as I I, uh, taught on in the Advent series, her praise has a very militant and uh, political uh, concept inside of it where she she's at the announcement of a of a baby being born to her the the you know the savior of the world if you know if we would if she understood it exactly that way um she says you know you have taken down foreign enemies you you've taken down rulers from their thrones and have exalted those who were humble why use that language in the announcement of just a baby's birth because i think she, along with everybody else, anticipated this is a great child that's mm-hmm. being born. And then Zechariah, finally, he's prophesying at the end of it. And his prophecy, again, is political. Uh, he talks about God raising up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old salvation from our enemies and from the an- the hand of all who hate us. Mm-hmm. All all because Jesus is born? Mm-hmm. Yes, because they saw him for what he was. At least these people saw him for what he was. And and this, some of the words that they use go back to what something you said even uh, yesterday on uh, Sunday. We can't separate the Old Testament from from the New. We, uh, uh, you, you talked a little bit about uh, about the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip explaining Jesus from the Book of Isaiah. Uh, I think many times if we if we understood that this is this is a Jewish book and you said it very well and that this is not something new it is it is the culmination of what the Jews believed and they believed that there was going to be a messiah, messiah that comes Zechariah's prophecy and his uh, words just uh, reiterate that back that this was he says. In 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham uh, to grant us uh, being being delivered out of the hand uh, of our enemies uh, in holiness and righteousness, we're going to serve him all of our days. This is is an amazing picture of what God came to do through not only Jesus, but but the forerunner, John. And... uh, it was uh, uh, it, you, we we cannot separate the prophecy the prophecies in the old in the Old Testament. Uh, we have to understand them. Jesus talked about that when he spoke with the Pharisees. He said, "You know, you you read the scriptures and thinking that you have a life in them, and they talk about me, and you've missed it. I don't want to miss it." Yeah, amen, to amen it. to that. Uh, the last piece that that I think is. Uh, just worth a, a moment of consideration is verse 80, how the whole chapter ends. It says, and the child, in this case, the child referred to here as John the Baptist. And it says, and the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit. And he lived in the desert until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Um, this guy is seen as this wild man who comes out of nowhere eating uh, eating locusts and wild honey and and uh, you know all of this stuff and I, I get this picture of I get this picture of 
a street corner preacher who just walks in on the scene and starts pointing to people and saying, repent and believe. And I imagine that that wasn't it wasn't very welcome at the time. It's not welcome from street corner preachers now, but uh, this guy has just come in, but he he moves from this growing in spirit, uh, you know, kind of character, making his public appearance, and he ends up like the prophets of the Old Testament. He has a voice with kings. He has a voice with with leaders in the day, and so much so that he calls Herod out at one point, you know, for his sin, and ultimately ends in his uh, beheading. Spoiler alert, in case you haven't read the Bible, but <laughs> but you know, it it also ultimately ends in his demise. But we have just amazing pictures painted of these characters, and we're only in chapter one. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll keep going through this uh, piece by piece as the days. Uh, as the days and the weeks uh, go, and hopefully in our journey through this, we will grow in the our devotion to the apostles' teaching, uh, to the Word of God, and to this scripture that we know will bring us uh, all good things. It, it brings us into a, a life of righteousness, a life of, of hope, a life of peace, because we know what God says. So, any Amen. final thoughts? Just, I think, for all of you that are on a Keto keto diet or gluten free. John's I think got it for locusts you. and wild honey. I believe are all gluten free, and I think. No, I'm just joking. I just don't Thanks. see how you say anything after that. <laughs> Thanks, Have guys. a great day, guys.